morning's scripture readings are from uh, assorted proverbs pertaining to work. They'll be uh, up on the screen behind me. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. This is God's word. So Proverbs touches on a subject so often that it's just got to be some kind of problem, but no one will want to admit why that is. And that is that some of us are sluggards. <laughs> and to be fair, most of us kind of fell into that pattern during a global pandemic, right? I mean, that was a real thing that happened and it was just hard to work at the same rate we used to work at. So we fell into this pattern and thankfully Proverbs gives us helpful wisdom for anyone who now struggles to work with diligence and purpose. He gives us many Proverbs about this, about hard work, because God wants us to live a fully flourishing life. He gives us these Proverbs for our good because we can't live a fully flourishing life outside of his design. And his design is that we work because God himself works. And we were created to image him to the rest of the world, to, to created in his, in his image to image him and reflect him to the rest of the world. And yet no one wants to admit to being anything less than busy with work. A few years ago, a uh, global marketing firm named uh, Havas Worldwide, they did a um, survey of 10,000 adults across 28 countries about their work habits. And one of the conclusions they came to very clearly was that most people feel compelled to lie about how busy they are. Not only that, but the survey showed that 60% of people believe that those close with them are also lying. <laughs> that, they, that they are saying they are pretending to be busier than they actually are. And, and why is that? I think it's because it's okay in our perception, it's okay to be imbalanced about work, but not okay to be imbalanced about rest. And my immediate concern for most of us is that you and I tend to view uh, overworking or workaholism as a more socially acceptable weakness than that of being a sluggard, right? Like it's, it's okay to say I work too much, I do, I'm a workaholic, all these things, but no one wants to say they're a sluggard. Where, where is reality is, both have a dysfunctional relationship to their work because both avoid responsibilities. 
The ant, the overworker, the workaholic, avoids responsibilities by crowding them out of their calendar. And while the sluggard may endure financial loss, the overworker endures relational loss. So both sluggards and ants need wisdom to restore a right relationship with work. So that's what we're going to do this morning. As we continue, we're doing this series, we're so excited about this, on Proverbs, making great decisions in the gray of life. And when it comes to, to work and to rest, sometimes that's a gray area. So it's good that we talk about this this morning. How do we restore that kind of balance? So ants, overworkers, I'm going to get to you, but first we're going to explore those who honestly struggle to work with diligence and with purpose, but you're not necessarily going to raise your hand in a minute. All right? No, everyone here is going to look around like, oh, it's not me, thank goodness, right? But secretly, you know it might be, and that's okay. It's interesting, for such a negative-sounding label, Proverbs presents a surprisingly nuanced view of the sluggard. The struggle to keep on working actually has a few different kinds of causes and a few different wise strategies Proverbs gives for sluggardliness, for sluggishness. For example, some are sluggish because they just have a hard time getting started. You ever felt that before? You listen, listen again to the description of the person wisdom addresses in Proverbs chapter 6. How would you diagnose this person? Verse 10, she says she's going to lie down a little, then a little longer. You know what? Just a short nap. Wait, wait a minute. Just one more rest. <laughs> now, our knee-jerk response is recorded in Proverbs in the previous verse, right? How long will you lie there? When will you get up? These are the kinds of questions you ask of whom usually? Someone who's depressed. Someone who just can't get up and get moving. Maybe you've been stuck like this in your life. Or maybe you've known someone who's ever been stuck like this. And what do you typically try to say to them to help? Let me share with you what doesn't work. Try to fix them by telling them what you do. That does not help a person, or comparing what you do to what they do. Chances are, if that person's close with you, they've already compared themselves to you, and they just feel worse about themselves as a result. So don't do that. It's interesting, Solomon doesn't say, hey, slugger, look what I do. Emulate me, be like me. What he does say is look outside yourself. Literally, look outside yourself and outside right? Towards nature, towards an ant. And the reason I think he does this is because depression, even if it's in its mildest form, is relentlessly curved inward, isn't it? It gets you thinking about yourself and listening to yourself and yourself only. And sometimes it's easier to look to a humble example in nature, an example that, that doesn't judge, doesn't give advice. In fact, it doesn't even talk at all. <laughs> It's interesting, too, that later on, Jesus does this for those people who struggle with anxiety. He says to look outside yourself at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. If God clothes and provides for those, how much more will he take care of you? So Solomon says also, hey, look outside, go to the ant, consider its ways. Birds, lilies, ants, they don't judge, they don't give advice, they don't talk, and yet they do speak to us or they can. So this week what I did, I said, if I'm going to preach about this, i got to practice what God's Word says. So I went outside, back to this backfield behind us, 
and took some time to look at ants. I watched a documentary on ants, and I just sat and, and watched ants for a while, 30 to 45 minutes of watching ants. <laughs> You're like, we pay you for this, right? Yeah, that's right, you do. It's the kind of hard-hitting action you're going to get here. One ant I watched was going back uh, to its nest. It was carrying a little leaf, and it was about to go down into its nest when another ant I noticed kind of nudged it. It it, it sort of took what it was carrying and then immediately dropped it. (laughs) And the ant that was originally carrying it just got right back to work, almost as if it was saying, okay, I guess I'm supposed to pick up something different. And it just turned around, went right back to where it came from. It didn't wait to receive full instructions or receive HR training or anything like that. It just got right back to work. And it did make me think. And maybe consider the ant in its ways. Because sometimes when I'm starting a new project, like a, like a new sermon series, or, or something like our first ever waiting room, which we did this last Wednesday, it was wonderful. Sometimes I don't know where to begin. It's hard to start. And I think, and I think, and I think, but I don't ever put my pen to paper or, or my, my keys to the typewriter, because, or the typewriter, the, the keyboard. I think, but I don't get started. And before I know it, like the proverb says, poverty is upon me. It's best to just jump in. Because before I know it, I get a sense of where I should have started, even if I didn't begin in the right direction. And just like the ant, sure, I'm going to waste some energy and some effort, but the momentum of starting in some direction eventually results in the right direction. And that, to me, was a lesson of the ant. Some here are struggling simply because they're having a hard time getting started. Some people are sluggish because they are unrealistic. Unrealistic. Proverbs 12, verse 11 says, He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. You ever notice when like a big-time athlete, a celebrity, a politician, launches into their dream big or follow your dreams mantra, it's almost always towards kids. Hey, hey, you out there, young people, do it, you could do it, follow your dreams, do this. And, and partly that's because they're young, they're impressionable, but also they have plenty of room to mess up and what they do, right? Get it wrong a few times. Adults, however, have bills to pay, right? Mortgages to pay off. The bulk of our energies need to be spent on some basic necessities of life, right? So wiser counsel for an adult might be dream big, but get a job while doing so. The most practical reason, of course, is to feed, clothe, provide shelter for you and your family. But there's another reason to get a job while you're dreaming towards something else, and that is the habits you build today you're going to drag into tomorrow, right? Good work habits don't suddenly appear when your dream job comes around. Those walking with wisdom toward a God-given dream, they are putting in the long hours. They're studying at night. Right? They're, 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 they're doing early morning breakfast to make contacts with others who can help them. They're, they're squeezing out time to pursue their dream off hours. Now, the Hebrew word for, for chases dreams or chase fantasies has this little stem on it that lets us know it's intensive. In other words, it kind of tells us this chasing is an obsession for a sluggard. Sluggards are obsessed sometimes. It's one thing to keep one eye on a dream while doing your work. It's another thing to to chase a dream with a singular focus without regard to anything else. 
to keep chasing it, and only it lacks judgment, Proverbs tells us. Chasing the next best-looking idea lacks judgment. Wise is the one who looks at the land in front of him and says to the obvious opportunity, I'll start here at this land while I keep another eye on my dream ahead. Now, some people are sluggers because of misplaced cravings. So some because they're unrealistic, some because of misplaced cravings. Proverbs 21, 25, and 26, which Luke read for us earlier, the desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and he craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. What is it that many of us crave through our work? I think it's that we, to succeed enough so we can work less. To succeed just enough so we can work less. Tim Ferriss wrote this book a number of years ago called The, the Four-Hour Work Week, Escape 9 to 5, Live Anywhere, Join the New Rich. Four-hour work week. I mean, you can imagine? But listen, this thing became a New York Times bestseller for four years and was translated into 35 different languages. People like this idea of a four-hour work week. And why? Because they wanted to work enough, just enough, succeed just enough so they can work less, right? So why is it that the righteous is able to give and not hold back ever? Keep on working. One of my favorite writers on the subject of work is this 20th century uh, British writer named Dorothy Sayers. She makes an observation during her era, kind of the mid-20th century, that connects the dots from slugger to one who, who, who works and doesn't hold back. She says this, the essential modern heresy today is that work is not the expression of man's creative energy in the service of society, but only something one does in order to obtain money and leisure. She uses this illustration. She says, after the war, World War II, one of the great surprises is that those who uh, had to serve in the army found themselves for the first time doing something not for the pay, which is miserable, but for the sake of getting the thing done. Prior to the war, doctors practiced medicine not primarily to relieve suffering. Healing was just something that got done along the way. Instead, to make a living. Lawyers would accept briefs not because they have a passion for justice, but because the law is the profession which enables them to live and have leisure. In other words, people don't work as hard for the sake of working or for others. They work for their own leisure, the cravings of having that extra time. But during the war, everyone knew they were contributing to the survival of society. They were able to give, not hold back. Hold that thought there. I want to complete this idea with Proverbs 10, verse 5. He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who brings shame. Now, this is interesting because why doesn't Solomon just, just say, he puts this in terms of sons and families. Why not just say, hey, the person who gathers in the summer is prudent. The person who, who uh, sleeps is foolish. Instead, he says, actually, that person's a prudent son or a son who brings shame. I think he does this because God has designed work to contribute to society, of which family is its most basic unit. Right? Work is designed to help others flourish. So he uses the word shame because guilt is a failure to live up to a set of laws. Shame is a failure towards community. So the son who has shame brought upon us because he has failed the community through his lack of work. 
one of the reasons you may struggle to work hard is that you crave this kind of self-benefit only through your work. I'm doing enough of it so I can have leisure for myself. When God intends for you to work, to contribute to society, to help other people flourish, not just yourself. So wisdom is also saying, find a, find a way to do work for the benefit of others or find a different job. All right? So that addresses the sluggish. Now, Proverbs also addresses the ant, the overworker, the workaholic. So I want to talk to you for a moment as well. Proverbs 24, verse 27, again, says, prepare, prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Uh, the great Bible teacher, uh, Chuck Swindoll, once summarizes proverb like this, work hard, then get a life. Work hard, then get a life. I like that. Every hard worker just needs to, for the purpose of his own flourishing, draw a distinction between work life and home life. Now we know from, from reading places in the Old Testament, like Exodus one twenty one and Deuteronomy 25 verse 9, that building of one's house doesn't literally mean building a structure, but it means the, the starting, the raising, the strengthening of one's family which was to be kept separate from work in the field. And what's interesting is this, this proverb does not say that, that work at your job is more important than work at home, or that work at home is more important than work at your job. In fact, to be a good husband, to be a good father, to be a good wife, uh, to be a good mother, to be a good son or daughter requires bringing hard habits, uh, hardworking habits from work to your house. It's the timing that Proverbs is addressing here. That should remain distinct. Morning, afternoon, for work, evening belongs to the home. Or whatever that looks like for you. One of those three phases in life needs to be at home and only at home. In a previous post, um, been doing ministry for a number of years vocationally, and a uh, long time ago, when our kids were yet real young, I was an assistant pastor overseeing a youth college and young adults at a uh, growing church. It was a church that started with uh, 500 people and tripled in size during the time we were there. And it was exciting to be a part of, right? It was totally exciting as it grew and it grew. And, but it was also a rat race, right? And so I never switched off my phone. I said yes to nearly every speaking opportunity, which inevitably took place in the evenings, which meant I was spending almost as many weeknights not at home as I was at home. And even when I was at home, I had this little garage office, which I liked a lot. It was a garage office, had a little sofa, and it had a little mini TV, a mini fridge, and you know it's bad, you know you're probably a workaholic if in your place at home of work to get away, there's a mini TV and a mini fridge. I really needed to draw a distinction between my home and work life, which meant at some point humbly asking my wife, Katie, what can I do to help me feel more present and more available? And so we moved to the Cayman Islands. That's what we did. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what we did for me. We did move to the Cayman Islands, but not for that purpose. I just wanted to see your reaction. Um, I, I did a couple practical things. I assigned office hours to my phone and to my emails. So this is it. And I started to keep track of how often I said yes and no to things 
And I started saying no as often as I would say yes to different engagements. And I just kept track of it, and I was just rigorous about it. Now notice, ants, I'm not bringing up the importance of rest. We're going to get to that next week. Because wisdom is not saying, prepare work, get everything in the field, and go home, rest, and unplug. It didn't say that. Read that again. It says, what? After that, build your house. Because home life requires hard work. Requires hard work. Now, some of you might say, all well and good, but I return to an empty house. Then find another household to build, to help build. Whether it's a neighbor's house or building the household of faith. We are not meant to go home, shut everything down, unplug, and just turn off for the night. A biblical example of this, the Apostle Paul When he wasn't in prison, Paul worked hard during the day as a tent maker and then spent all of his off hours building the household of God, building the household of faith, he called it. And whatever city he found himself, that's what he did, worked hard, worked hard, then off hours, he built the household of faith. That's a single man. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, he says this, I worked harder than any of the other apostles, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. It wasn't me, but the grace of God that's in me. So Paul helps us answer the question here. How do we keep on working from the demands of the day to the demands I find when I'm at home and keep on working? The simple answer is grace. God's love activated through this undeserved gift. Building all day at work, and then coming home to continue to build requires tapping into the grace of God to help us keep on going. So how do we do that? I think most of what makes us feel so exhausted during the day at our job is all the accumulated baggage we bring on. You feel unappreciated, ignored, maybe even scorned. Maybe you feel disappointment there, even regret or just the overall feeling of incompletion you get when walking out from the park to the parking lot at the end of the day. And it's exhausting. In the Academy Award-winning film, uh, Chariots of Fire, you never heard of it, it's a 1980s movie. Um, there's a haunting moment when one of the characters, Harold Abrams, he, he's, he's, a, he's about to step onto the track at the Olympics to run the 100 meters, and he reflects Here's what he says. He says, I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with only 10 seconds to justify my whole existence. You see, he'd been training all the way up to that. And he said, he looks down that corridor and says, I have 10, here we go, four feet wide, 10 seconds to justify my whole existence. Can you imagine feeling that? Maybe you can. Many of us look to the hours of approximately 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. to really justify who we are, to tell us that we're complete. We look to it to make us feel whole. When it doesn't, what do we do? We tend to look homeward to feel appreciated, to feel validated, to feel completed, which no spouse, no child, no friend can bear. Right? When we go and we bring that to our spouse, to our child, to our friend, uh, to our flatmate, whoever, whatever that might be, they cannot bear that weight either. 
So how then do you tap into the grace to carry on when you're exhausted? Practically, I would encourage you to use that window of time to look outside yourself to the cross. What I mean by that is look, use that window of time between the parking lot at work to the time you get home. Or, that, or maybe for some of you who are raising kids, look at that window of time of that 22 minutes you put on the late afternoon of Disney entertainment for your kid, right? And use that time when you're that exhausted to look outside yourself to the cross. Because the cross of Jesus Christ is God's official verdict that you are loved you are validated. You are completed. You are justified. The further you get that external reality of God's justifying you through the cross in here, the further you can be strengthened to be to work harder than anyone else at your job and then at home. Yet not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You see, both the, both the uh, stationary sluggard and the overworking ant really actually have the same problem as, the, as this, that both look inside themselves to justify the, their existence. We look to these inner resources in here to justify who we are. And so the sluggard hears inward lies of why they're, why they're a failure, why they never will succeed, and so he or she can't even start. And the ant musters all its inward mental and physical resources to keep working away towards a perfection they can never achieve and has nothing left to give when they pull into the driveway. So much looking in here when we need to be looking out there. So I want to encourage you, friends, look to the cross of Jesus and hear him say, by grace, through simple faith, I have made you right with me. And you are free to fail. And you are free to keep on building because failure will never define you and I will never stop building through you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for wisdom through your word, through Proverbs. I pray that in areas where we're struggling, we would take practical advice home with us this morning from your word, practical wisdom, and apply it to our life. But I especially ask that we would see, most of all, that we need to stop looking inside ourselves to justify who we are. Inside ourselves for the strength to carry on or just to get started in the first place. But that we look outside of ourselves to the cross of Jesus Christ. When we feel that pressure to feel justified at home or at work, and remember we are justified, Jesus, through your sacrifice, that you made us right with God forever, and we are validated, we are completed, we are loved, we are right forever. And out of that rightness with you, we know that we're, we're free to fail, that it's okay to try again, because you're never going to give up on us. Failure will never define us, you'll never stop building through us. Help us be encouraged as we look outward to the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.